Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, as we continue to work our way through the book of Galatians. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning. Before we do that, let's go again to God in prayer and ask for his help as we open his word. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we open your word, as we read from it, as we hear it, as we understand it, we recognize the fact that we are weak when it comes to these things. And sometimes we are just obstinate when it comes to your word. We know the things we ought to do, just as Todd read earlier. We know the things we ought to do, but yet we choose to do otherwise. And so, Lord, we pray that you would take your word and that you would convict us with it. That it will drive even to our very souls the understanding of your gospel, of your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read through this passage this week, this idea of of freedom is going to come out versus slavery and this truth that grants us freedom. And it made me think of something that happened in the 70s in our own country and really several decades previous leading up to that. And this was the uh, this town known as Jonestown. You've probably heard of Jonestown. I've actually talked about it before. It's created by a man named Jim Jones. And he had about a thousand followers or so, uh, give or take. And they, they set up shop in a country called Guyana in the 70s. And Jones began gathering followers, even in the 20 years or so preceding this, teaching them essentially that the world was coming to get them and that their freedoms were going to be taken away from them if they didn't watch out. They needed to, instead, they needed to kind of set up their own community where freedom would be guaranteed. He he guaranteed a kind of utopia for his followers as long as they just listened to him, that they would have these things. The problem was that Jones lived in constant paranoia that something or someone was coming to get him. So, when the United States sent a delegate, a U.S. congressman, to go down and see what was happening there with some of his own constituents, Jones saw this as the final straw, and he had the congressman and the others in his party killed, and they came back and ordered all of his followers to drink poison. I'm sure you've heard that story. It's a really sad sort of thing. And his reasoning for this is that there were others who were spying out the freedom that they had, And they wanted to take them back into slavery. They were coming to get them. This is one of the saddest moments in our country's history. So in our text today, we're going to have this similar kind of theme. And I would even go so far as to say the stakes are much higher than what we have before us today. We continue to work through Paul's autobiography of sorts concerning the years right after his conversion. And in our text today, Paul encounters a group that would take his freedom, that of his and his friends, away. And rather than have his freedom taken, he continued to preach the gospel of Christ, which of course the true gospel of Christ does the exact opposite. It grants us freedom. The gospel frees us from slavery to sin, from slavery to the law, which we cannot hope to keep even on our best days. This is important for us today, as much as it's ever been. We also like to be the ones that spy out others' freedom. 
or the opposite, we become paranoid that it's happening to us, and we live we live in this oppression to our former masters, sin and death. Either when we do that, we make ourselves to be kind of a second class Christian. When we fail to meet the standards set out, we put ourselves under under that kind of standard. We, or we create a standard and we make everyone else second class Christians who don't live up to the standard that, that we create. We are constantly afraid that someone's going to take away that little piece of freedom that we have created that is no freedom at all. So as we work through this, I'm going to break the text up into those two ideas. That idea of first a second class Christian and then of course we have a first class Savior. So with that, let's look together at the text, Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, reading through verse 10. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I had that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that, we, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in the submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So remember last week, at the end of chapter 1, we looked at Paul's life basically right after his conversion, how he received the gospel, as he said, that wasn't from man, but that was directly from God. And again, that's going to feature importance today, in fact, throughout the rest of this book, as Paul's ministry begins to reach a wider audience. He'll meet up with a man named Barnabas, they travel to this region named Galatia, and they plant churches. And then they head back to Jerusalem for this Jerusalem council to deal with the issue at hand, whether or not a Christian must be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, we haven't went to the Jerusalem Council text yet, and I think it's important for us to do that today for a backdrop. And so let's go together to Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Galatians is basically a big response to this section that we're going to read. I'm going to read the first 11 verses 
of Acts 15. And so what I want you to hear is this conflict that we have been looking at as we've been going through Galatians, this idea that someone must be circumcised in order to be saved. But some men came from Judea, this is Acts 15, verse 1, came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all, uh, they, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So this sets the stage for us and really should be read alongside this book to keep us kind of grounded on the issue that is at hand. Notice all that's going on. Paul and Barnabas are there and they relay the news of the conversions that they, that they had been out in this place called Galatia that was decidedly not Jewish. And there was all these conversions and everyone was happy except for this one group. And that one group was sad Because the gospel that Paul preached that converted those believers was a little bit less of the gospel that they wanted to be preached. They wanted to add this little bit to Jesus to make all the Christians better. Understand what I just said. They wanted to add something to Jesus to make the saved a little bit more saved than they currently were. Essentially, they were saying that the Gentile believers weren't quite saved enough. They needed just a little bit more. And Peter's comments here are important, especially as we consider the text. Peter says, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Beginning to today's text, we're going to have a look at that yoke and see why it was Jesus who took the yoke upon himself. who saved us all by his grace, giving to each of us the same measure of his grace, all of it, not a little bit here and there to those who maybe deserve a little bit more. Grace is undeserved by definition. So as we get into the first point, second class Christians, look with me again at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, and I went because of a revelation that was set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that was 
that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So there's some debate, just real quick, concerning the timeline here. You read this 14 years, and you wonder what's going on here, and I'm sure that those kinds of discussions have their place. There's just that place is not here this morning. They really have no bearing on the interpretation of the text, so we're going to skip that. If you're curious about that, a lot of pages have been written about it, trust me. It's not all that important. The big idea here is that Paul and Barnabas and Titus went to Jerusalem, based on a revelation that Paul had received that they should go to Jerusalem. Again, just a real quick word here. Real quick word here. You're not Paul. You aren't currently receiving revelations from God about things that you should do and places that you should go. You're not. For every person I've heard say, I feel like God is telling me to do this really good thing, I've also heard someone else say, I feel like God is telling me to leave my spouse. Not putting those two things in the same boat, other than to say both people say that God's telling them something. No, he's not. Just like we don't need to add to the gospel, we don't need to add to God's word. If you think you do, you need to stop. If you have friends who think they do, tell them to stop. If you wonder why I harp on this, the story I just told you, but the intro about Jonestown was a man who said, I feel like God is telling me. And he filled in the blank. And he moved a thousand people down to Guiana to their doom. Moving on. So Paul receives instruction from the Lord to go to Jerusalem. And I think that this has to do with the time that he went to the Jerusalem council. Again, that's for today, but that's what I think. And notice the reason that he went. In order to make sure that I was not running and had not run in vain. So we talked last week, Paul did not receive his authority from the apostles. He did not receive his authority from Jerusalem. He received his authority directly from Jesus. Yet Paul was not going to go it alone. No one in the church ever does, even if they think they are. So Paul wanted to make sure that he and Peter and all the other apostles and the elders that were there were all on the same page, which we're going to see, which we saw as we read from the minutes of the Jerusalem Council. That's exactly what was going on. They were making sure they all were in agreement about the content of the gospel. For Paul to be alone in his gospel message might have been a signal to him that the gospel that he was preaching actually needs revision. For him to go and to share the gospel that he was preaching among the apostles and for them to say, absolutely, that's wonderful, is, a, is an affirmation, is a good thing. He saw that they were preaching the same gospel and he was encouraged. And in fact, he was encouraging to everyone there. We see evidence of that in verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised because he was Greek. We know that they were preaching the same gospel because Titus, a Gentile, was not required to be circumcised in order to be part of their fellowship. It's the truth of the gospel. It doesn't need anything added to it. Yet, there were others who were there who thought that this was a necessary condition. Verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. These, these, these false brothers secretly brought in. Notice the, the tone here. It's all deceptive. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. 
Notice how he describes the actions of the Judaizers. They were brought in like spies in secret to spy out the freedom they have to bring us back into slavery. When I studied this over the week, this is the phrase that just kept coming back to me. It kept that kept speaking to me. That is like there's something here, right? This is the phrase that made me think of Jonestown. That made me think of that congressman, Leo Ryan was his name. That he went he was being che- he was being sent to check on his constituents, to to spy them out, as it were. But in Jonestown, it was the opposite situation, right? He was going to spy out the slavery because they had left this freedom that they have here in this country to go down and experience slavery under this man, Jim Jones. And he wanted to free them. He wanted to take them out of it, but Jones wouldn't have it. He wanted to keep his people in slavery because he saw that as the right thing. The people that had come to spy on Paul and Barnabas and Titus thought they were doing a good thing. They had to understand that. They weren't being malicious. They didn't think people needed to be circumcised for a bad reason. I don't believe they meant harm to Paul. They just wanted to preach to him a false gospel that would ultimately bring him harm. They couldn't stand the freedom that Paul and Titus had in Christ. The freedom that he was demonstrating by not being circumcised. So they came to rob him of it. Jesus spoke of this freedom in his earthly ministry as well. And I think that is a helpful incident for us to study as well. So turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. <clears throat> it's a passage that you've probably read and heard before. Remember, Jesus dealt with the Pharisees as well, just like they were dealing with in our passage today. So John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, this is Jesus speaking to a group of Jewish people who have now believed in Christ. Understand the setting. It's the same sort of thing. Jesus speaking to them says, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we, now notice, Jesus says, you're free just by knowing the truth. And this is, this is how they think that they get freedom. Notice, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? Jesus spoke of a freedom that he offered through the gospel. Jesus came to make a sacrifice to pay his life as a ransom for his people. Freedom. They didn't have to do anything. Jesus was going to do all the work. Yet the Jews wanted a different kind of surety here. They wanted their Jewishness to save them. No, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. We've been free ever since Abraham. We're Abraham's offspring. You can't make us free. We've only ever been free though a first-grade survey of the Old Testament would prove otherwise, they've only ever been oppressed. Jesus had real freedom to offer them. Continuing on, verse 34, John 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do, and you do what you have heard from your father. And he goes on to explain to them that their father is the devil. Jesus spoke of the authority that only the Son of God has, of course, and proclaimed that if the Son sets you free, all the Jewishness in the world cannot make you more free than what the Son of God does for you. It's not as if doing this one little thing is going to give you a little bit more freedom than the ones who haven't done that. In fact, anything that isn't the gospel, anything at all, if you add something to the gospel, you no longer have the gospel, by the way. Anything that's not the gospel doesn't free you. It does the opposite. It enslaves you. The Jews in his day heard the gospel. They heard it straight from his mouth. Yet what did they want to do to him? And what did they eventually do to him? They killed him. They wanted to kill him. In Paul's day, the Judaizers heard it. They wanted to enslave Paul and his friends. They wanted to spy out the freedom that they had in Christ. Brothers and sisters in the church, what do we do when we hear the gospel? Does it free us? Moreover, do we see that it frees others? And we'd never stand at the door of the church and demand some sort of criteria in order for someone to enter. At least I would ever hope not. Of course we don't do that. We want anyone to come in and we want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet in our hearts many times we see the freedom someone else has in the gospel and we want to enslave them with this little addition that we want to make to the gospel. Well, Jesus saves you, but in order to be really saved, you need to be baptized. Well, Jesus, yes, really important. He saves you, yes, but in order to be a true Christian, you need to be reformed. You need to have a reformed understanding of the Bible. Yes, Jesus saved, but if you really want to experience Jesus like the rest of us, you need to go through this 12-week course, discipleship course. Oh, you don't read the Puritans? Oh. Your church has less than 50 people? Hmm. Your kids do that? You listen to what? You drink what? We don't need to add... We all have a thing that we want to add. Not only do we have a thing, but we are also enslaved by something as well. Not only are we adding to others, but we've also been enslaved by someone else. Maybe not through any fault of their own. Not only are we expecting something of others, but we're paralyzed by what we think others expect of us. What a crazy gospel we have dreamed up. One that enslaves us. Especially when the true gospel requires nothing from us except faith. And the faith, Andy read from this scripture this morning, the faith that is required of us in the gospel, it's a gift. The thing that makes it possible, He gives us. We sing this hymn all the time. All the fitness He requires is to fill your need of Him. This 
He gives you. Who's He? That brings us to the last point, our first class Savior. So some came to spy on Paul and his friends. But Paul didn't have it. I love this. Verse 5 back in Galatians 2. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. I would have just loved to have heard Paul debate because it would have just it would have been bad to hear other people have tried to stand up to him. Even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. And I love how he continues on here. Which he's done several times in this text. I don't know if we if you picked up on it as you read through it, how he refers to the apostles there in Jerusalem. Look with me at verses six through nine. And from those who seemed to be influential, speaking of Peter and the other apostles, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who, who seemed to be pillars, who, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. I love these. He says of the apostles, they, they seem to be influential. They seem to be pillars. Why was he doing this? He obviously knew the difference there. He wasn't belittling their office or taking anything away from them. Remember what he said about them earlier in this book. Remember what he said about himself earlier in this book. If an angel or me or anyone gives you a different gospel, let him be accursed. Paul is simply affirming the idea here that the gospel he preached wasn't from man. It wasn't from these men in Jerusalem. It was from God alone. It didn't depend on the apostles. It depended on God and his authority. The apostles accepted Paul not on the basis of the kinds of friends he chose, but on the fact that he preached one true gospel. Didn't matter who was preaching it to. For Paul and Barnabas, they were sent to the Gentiles. For those in the Jerusalem church, they were sent to the Jews. It didn't matter. Preach the gospel. And I love the request of Paul and Barnabas, verse 10, that they continue to give to the poor. Paul and Barnabas had gathered a gift from the Gentile churches. As they went through the churches in the Gentile area and as they planted these churches, they gathered up a gift to give to the church in Jerusalem to help the poor. So imagine that's what's going on here. Here you have in Jerusalem this, these pillars, these founders of the church, these apostles, the ones that actually walked with Jesus, accepting a gift from the Gentiles to help their poor. What an incredible affirmation from Jerusalem church to the Gentile church. We accept your gift from God. Keep gathering those gifts. They could have said, well, we only accept gifts from the circumcised. But they knew better. One Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is overall, through all in all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we consider the gospel message that Jesus came to deliver a people from their sins. That Jesus gave his life as a ransom for his sinful people. 
that he took their sin, that they might become the righteousness of God. What is it? This is a question you have to ask yourself. What is it that you are adding to the righteousness of God in an attempt to make it better than it already is? What is it that you require of others so that they might finally become a first-class Christian just like you? What is it that makes you think that you're a second-class Christian? I'm here to tell you, all of those things are lies. Every single one of them. They don't make you free. They do the opposite. They enslave you. Just like those who spied out Paul and Titus in order to take their freedom that way and to enslave them. That's what it's doing to you. Rather than cling to a false gospel that enslaves, instead cling to Jesus who sets you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. In fact, He's already done so. You don't have to go and do something in order to be set free. You are free. Live that truth. And if you're here and you do not believe, if you're not a believer, you have the same offer to you. Jesus offers you that same freedom. The world only offers a false kind of freedom that's actually just slavery. The end of it leads in death. Eternal condemnation. Instead, call out to Jesus and be saved. Find your true freedom in Christ. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Son has set you free again. You are free indeed. He has set you free. You have right now the whole Christ. The whole Jesus. Don't be hindered by the expectations that you have for yourself. Don't hinder others in the expectations you have for them. Others have the whole Christ too. Don't attempt to enslave them with your false gospel. Instead, cast it down. Proclaim the true faith that we all have. Proclaim that same gospel out into a lost world that they may know the Lord and glorify His name. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to You now, we profess the fact that we add to Your gospel we would add to your righteousness in order to make people a little bit better. And in doing so, we enslave them. We enslave ourselves. Lord, help us. Help us to cling to you. Help us to find rest in you and you alone. There is nothing to add to you to make you better. You are all we need. Lord, help us to see that. And not only that, Lord, help us to be faithful to preach that message to the world that they would know you and glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.